to the Urban Gardener podcast where we try to help you turn up your gardening knowledge with tips and tricks for gardening in the city where we live. Coming to you right here from sunny today, even though it's mid-February, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma County. So my name is Julia Laughlin. I'm the Oklahoma County, Oklahoma State University horticulture educator and I have the best job in the world because I get to work with plants and also with people. So uh, with me today are my friends Lily. Hi, I'm Lily LeClaire, program assistant here at the Extension Center. And Andrew. Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. I'm also program assistant here at the Extension Center. Yay. So um, we're in our second episode without our buddy Josh, but he has uh, he's gone on to a statewide job and we miss him. And I know he's listening, so hi, Josh. <laughs> hi, Josh. <laughs> anyway, so today what we thought we would talk about, like I said, it's actually a beautiful sunny day here, but... In the middle of February, in the middle of Oklahoma, um, this time of the year, right now, it would not be unusual for us to be totally covered with ice outside, uh, you know, after an ice storm that we could have in mid-February, or to possibly have a beautiful spring day like we're having today. So, uh, we just live in a state where the weather is always constantly entertaining us. (laughs) And so, um, what I wanted to cover today and talk about is, believe it or not, a nice day in February like this is the perfect day to, because you want to be outside. I mean, almost everybody I talk to is like, where do you go? I'm going to go for a walk or whatever. Um, You want to be able to take a minute, in my opinion, and look at your personal outdoor space and make a decision about maybe some landscape easy or even potentially inexpensive things that you can do to make your landscape more interesting during the winter. Now, you might be like, well, I don't go outside in the winter, so (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) Or you may be, what I I notice is more when I'm driving by a really nicely landscaped home, and I'm like, wow, they definitely took the winter interest into consideration. Because you can use different types of plants, you can use evergreens, which we'll start talking about those first, and you can use deciduous plants, which we'll also talk about. And then the other one is grasses. Um, back in the day with the grasses, um, uh, we didn't think of their them as anything except for pretty during the summer, but now they're used very um determinately in landscaping for a winter effect with that all that beautiful flowing mm-hmm. tissue that you see at the end of the year. So um, why don't we start out by what I was the point I was going to make though is if you can't if you get out today uh, and I know you will Lily when you go for a walk because I know you go for a walk when the weather's pretty <laughs> if you'll notice all the evergreens they mm-hmm. stick out right now is what happened what happens later when all the deciduous trees come out the evergreens they still stick out because they're so dark green and beautiful and they kind of ground the landscape if you will which sounds strange you know what I mean it like it grounds the it brings everything in because it's so um green and dark and grounding and the other things are more like icing on the cake kind of but if you take time to look around in January and February when all the deciduous trees are still bare and shrubs and you're you can notice that they really show off so that make sense? Yes, I agree. I, I do notice those, and I also notice that if there's other evergreens around them, yeah. the ones that are dead. Oh, <laughs> so well, those we, all are able to, we yeah. also have a lot of that going on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, we've had some weird winters, not late, <laughs> really the last, well, I want to say the last eight or ten, but mm-hmm. we, we do get really bad winters in Oklahoma every 
10 years, um, you'll have a killing, really bad killing freeze, or, or you know, temperatures below sub, sub zero. Um, mm-hmm. And th- this year we didn't get down to zero, but pretty darn close, didn't we, mm-hmm. in January? Um, I think four degrees in Oklahoma City in some cases, right? Do you it got pretty cold. I know the wind chill got colder than that, but I don't Which think the ambient. See, yeah, amp, we, we don't have to worry about wind chill on plants. Right. They, they, uh, they don't feel it, so uh, it's just ambient. But that's a good point because people are always like, they, they'll call the office and say, oh, the wind chill is going to be minus three. Well, no, it's the ambient air temperature you have to worry about with plant materials. But mm-hmm. the, um, the damage that we've seen just off the last few years of some sub-zero and above, just above zero temperature shows up on the evergreens pretty good. So that is a whole other thing, really, that we're seeing damage on some of the evergreens right now. But if you take them as a whole, if you're if you're out or you're driving right, right now, they stand out because everything else is gone. Mm-hmm. So what you can do in your own landscape is uh, if you take a good look at it, you can be like, you know, I don't have any evergreens. I don't have any uh, pines. I don't have any junipers, no cedars, true cedars. Um I'm not talking about eastern red cedar, which most of us consider really a pasture weed. They're actually gorgeous, but they suck up a lot of water. And that's eastern red cedar really is west of west of where we live. It's a bad weed in pastures, and east of where we live, it can also become invasive and take over areas too. But I'm talking about true cedars, um, like um, uh, cedrus is the genus of those plants. So. These are really desirable landscape plants, the true cedars, the junipers, and um, also the pines. So a couple of things there. If you wanted to add a pine tree, I have a thing for pine trees. I absolutely, from being a New Mexico, originally a New Mexico girl, I don't like to admit that because I am an oaky at heart now, (laughs) but the pines of New Mexico are always... It, it's nostalgic to me, and anyone who ever, I have a friend that um, grew up in um, East Texas, and just, if you grew up around pines, and even if you didn't, they're gorgeous. They There's something about the wind in the pines. They make a noise that's hard to explain. There's nothing like being in a tall pine forest with those, you know, um, giant, giants standing over your head. So, but what I would tell you, if you want to have pines, they're, they're not hard to have, but what you want is indigenous pines. You want ones that are from the North American continent, not imported. I got nothing wrong with imported pines, except for they don't survive our climate, in especially the pine wilt disease that we have here. So the pine wilt disease kills pines. I was at a landscape, um, I guess it was before Christmas now, um, that the lady was losing all of her pines but they were all imported like the Japanese black she had Austrian pine she had scotch pine so the landscaper I'd put them in but they were all going down to we did a test just to make sure but I told her I thought that's what it was but it was the pine wilt disease and we do have a fact sheet on that which Andrew will note for us yes. in the pine wilt disease in the in the notes but um that that you can read about that disease but the, the thing is if you go with the North American pine you won't get it are they more resistant to the bagworms also? Uh, pines don't normally get bagworms, but junipers oh, okay. do. Okay. You're thinking of the junipers, and we'll talk yeah. about that. Okay. Um, pines, they're not real prone to them. I don't think mm-hmm. the bagworms like those needles. They can't. Mm-hmm. But junipers, yes, mm-hmm. big time. Okay. Um, but, but So back to the pines. Uh, the pines you could pick, a really good choice would be a ponderosa pine. They get big. Um, or perhaps a loblolly. We are seeing some damage on loblollies, though. 
in the last couple of years just because they're they're just barely adapted here and we've had these really low temperatures. So um, slash pine is another native pine, uh, Virginia pine. Um, but avoid the ones that we know come from other continents like the scotch pine is from Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that if it's got one of those Japanese pines, ask your nurseryman too. Say, you know, do you think this pine is a North American pine adapted here and doesn't get the pine wilt? They know as well. You talk to a reputable nurseryman. So um, pine trees are beautiful. Most of them are going to take up a lot of room. The ones that we have that were traditionally smaller pines were the imported ones. Mm. And so when pine wilt walked across the United States and killed all the imported pines, most of those small pine and shrub pines are gone. Um, the other one that OSU recommends if you can find it, it, it's a little bit harder to find, but you maybe have to look online and not be able to find it locally. It's called the limber pine. Um, it's one of the Oklahoma Proven plants. This would be a good opportunity to talk about Oklahoma Proven before we move on. Are either one of you familiar with the Oklahoma Proven plants list? A little bit, not an extensively, but I've I've seen right. it. I've looked through. I looked through. Yep. I believe it was either last year's or the year before. Yep. And it's it's a great selection. I didn't know about it until last year. Yep. Yep. And it's not. Believe me, I don't have them all memorized, but I can rattle off a bunch of them. But the limber pine was fairly new to that list. So what it is is. Oklahoma State University, in cooperation with the local producers, is they every year they announce one annual, one perennial, one tree, and one shrub that are totally adapted to Oklahoma. And so it's been building for about 20, um, I think we're on our 24th or 25th year this year. And so it's a collection of 25 trees at this point, 25 shrubs, 25 annuals, 25 perennials. And they, you know, pretty much everything on the list is bulletproof. And so when you're, if you're new to gardening or landscaping or if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, yeah, maybe I do want to try some more winter interest things, go to Oklahoma Proven and look at, and we'll talk about some of those varieties right now though. But um, the limber pine is the new pine that's on there. And I actually, um, I haven't seen it in nurseries, but they, the, the word is it's, it's coming out. It's, you know, fairly new release to, to the nurseries. So um, as far as other evergreens go, I love the junipers. Um, you just said eastern red cedar is a juniper, not a cedar. <laughs> but the forms of ones that have been chosen and bred for landscaping are gorgeous. Um, one of my favorite favorite ones is, is um, called Hollywood. The Hollywood juniper, I like it. Um, but there's a whole bunch of different ones. You can get them in shapes that are upright and would be perfect for hedging you know what I mean like if uh, let's say uh, I know Andrew's house shopping right now but if you found your house and you were like oh I love it here but I don't want to look more at my neighbor's um, swimming pool or whatever um, you could use this plant as a screen and for hedging juniper certain tall junipers that are uh, give you the shape that you need now again junipers are one of the ones that took a hit these these past few years, but what what I'm seeing is that we're able to reshape them usually, do a little pruning of the deadwood, and they they'll grow back in. It's not like removing them all together. Um, so the junipers, there's also prostrate ones. There's uh, what I would call horizontal shrubs that uh, prostrate that grow across the ground, or horizontal ones that may be six feet tall but grow twelve feet wide. If you need okay. that, yeah, whatever you need in your landscaping, they have it, and they're affordable and. Uh, in my mind, they're affordable and also readily available. Um, I don't want to skip the hollies. 
because I love hollies too. Um, the thing about hollies is um, they can take some winter damage. This the sub zero temperatures. We did see damage on hollies all over our city, mm-hmm. all over the central part of Oklahoma. Um, but again, those can generally be pruned and come back. Another one that I really like is Photinia. It's P H O T I N I A, also called red tip. You might know it as red okay, tip. Okay, I've heard red tip. Yeah, yeah. Um, those took some damage with sub zero, but it, that was so, such a weird thing. I don't know if you guys remember it, that we were below zero for a long time. Uh, what was it? Four days? Four days, maybe. About three years ago, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And and so most of those things are just now recovering. Like, mm-hmm. they had dead wood that had to be pruned out of them. Some of them had to be pruned to the ground or removed. Mm-hmm. I pruned, after that happened, I pruned all my photinias back, and they're all back beautiful again. But but my yard might be different than your yard. Different microclimate, you know what I mean? And, uh, climate. So my, mine did come back. It just took them a long time. Um, so we said the hollies, the uh, junipers, um, the pines, the cedars, the true cedars, um, those are beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, a few cypress, one of my favorite evergreens is the Arizona cypress, which you will find on the Oklahoma Proven Rocks. In fact, we're getting ready to plant one here at the, our Oklahoma Proven Garden on Arbor Day, I believe. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty. They have kind of a gray foliage instead of a deep green foliage. Mm-hmm. So think of those real dark green things like that as the... Um, grounding effect in your landscape we generally use them close to the front entrance to draw the eye Mm -hmm. to what would be like the focal point of your home when you're landscaping Uh, it's real common to use evergreens at the base of your home because it makes it look um like icing on the cake finished it finishes it you know what i mean so it's not unusual for people to have like a boxwood hedge or a hollies at the base of their home and then have flower beds in front of that because you have this green backdrop set up so what's the root system like do you think with the they're fibrous so it's not a problem yeah um now when you get into trees it's different Mm -hmm. but the shrubs should be no problem okay yeah um so i have a question about herbs Uh what are the good herbs for dinner well the ones that look pretty to me are rosemary and lavender and sage and if you can get them established, they're gorgeous. Uh, rosemary has to be one of the prettiest winter plants I've ever seen. It looks sometimes look a, looks look a little bit weird in the very cold right after the very coldest part of winter. Like right now, my rosemary looks a little bit weird, but it'll come out of it. And um, the trick to keeping all three of those, especially rosemary and lavender, and to a certain extent sage, you know what it is to grow them and get them to come back. They're all perennials. Is drainage. Oh. It's drainage. That's the only secret. People will tell me, um, and I know this because I've, I, I've grown, I bet I've grown, I don't know, not, don't laugh, but I've probably killed rosemary 30 times. <laughs> Please forgive me. It sounds bad. I killed rosemary 30 times. But I, I put it where it's not well drained. I love rosemary. I love to cook with it. Mm-hmm. I love the way it smells. I love the way it looks. It's mm-hmm. so beautiful, and, and you can see it, you know, um, cascading over the edge in a rock garden or in, in an herb garden. The whole secret to all of those is drainage, but they do stay evergreen all winter if you can give them sharp, sharp drainage. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we had a, a rosemary in a pot in our demonstration garden a few years, years ago that the gardener that I was working with, we um, totally forgot about it, never got any water, <laughs> <laughs> n- 
no water. It got whatever rain it was, but never had any additional water. Yeah. And uh, got huge. It loved it. <laughs> it loved nobody paying any attention to it. That's so interesting you're saying that because I've had many people that have grown uh, sage uh-huh. saying that it's, oh, it's so easy, you know. And every it time easy. I it got it, it, I would kill it. Yeah, it's the drainage. But it's the drain. Yeah. It was the drain. Now it thinking back, it's, drainage. yeah. And it's not as picky as rosemary and lavender, rosemary being the pickiest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you kill rosemary, you probably just don't have enough drainage. Try it in a pot. Yeah. I'm going to tell you guys, I told someone this the other day when I was giving a garden talk, is outside my back door, um, I have a, you know, we have a patio, and we cook back there, and then um, there's a little kitchen garden. It's not my vegetable garden, but I grow things that I take all the time. Like, I always put two cherry tomatoes in there because I can go out and get enough cherry tomatoes mm-hmm. for a little salad every night. Mm-hmm. Um, or And then my basil's there, and then um, I have mint, but I have mint in pots, and I have rosemary in pots, and I have um, the sage is in the ground, but it's well drained, and then I have thyme in a pot, thyme in a pot. What about oregano? Oregano's in the ground, yeah, like a little ground, it acts like a little ground cover, but Mm -hmm. I have all those back there, but but the ones that I have in pots for sure that do fabulous, and they come back every year, they don't go away because they're they're evergreen, Mm -hmm. is um, rosemary, uh, lavender, and um, thyme. So, do you like to cook with thyme? You may not, maybe if you don't cook, you don't really think about this, but I cook with thyme a lot. And um, all I have to do is snip, step out my back door all year and snip it and walk back into the kitchen and it's right there. But when I tell people, well, I grow thyme in a pot or I grow rosemary in a pot, they're like, really? It doesn't die in the winter? No. Mm-hmm. I had I, I had thyme in a pot. One plant I had to transplant it into a bigger pot a couple times, but... Um, 12 years probably wow yeah time in a pot didn't know you had time in a pot now you know (laughs) so that would be some good ideas with herbs um and then uh, we mentioned the evergreens and using them close to the doors and at the foundation and those kind of things we mentioned grasses Mm -hmm. and and i think i know evergreens and herbs kind of get a lot of attention especially over the winter holidays you know you think christmas you think snow you see yep. the pine the uh, cedar the juniper um, what about deciduous trees any deciduous plants that can really yeah i'm going to give you some real obvious examples my, my favorite and I, I, it never seems to change is the um uh, uh i'm sorry i just went blank um birch paper bark birch mm-hmm. it's like the it roll it roll the bark rolls off of it yeah and it's just gorgeous I have one that I can see out my back window that um, it's pretty in the summertime, but when there's nothing else, you know, this time of the year, that's all you can see is that beautiful peeling off birch. Mm-hmm. Let me mention another one that's a shrub. That's a tree. River river birch is what some, some people call it paper bark, but river birch is the one I'm thinking of with the peeling bark. Um, and those are usually, they're usually three-stemmed um, uh, tree, you know, form. Not single stem, but multi trunk is what they say. Yeah, and then this one you may not know about, but I, I don't know how to say this. But if you remember nothing else I say, <laughs> but the probably the most be- one of the most beautiful winter plants, and it's a shrub, is um, the oakley pydrangea. I I think that plant is fabulous. It's super hardy. It is native somewhere in North America. It's not necessarily native to Oklahoma, but um, 
It is a listed on the Nat- North American Native list. So it's not like the fussy, if you will, excuse me, prissy hydrangeas right. that, you know, have to be babied. They want to be watered, but they don't want that much water, <laughs> and then they'll maybe they'll bloom, and maybe they won't, and they're just prissy. And they're beautiful. They are. But the oak leaf hydrangea is in the hydrangea family, cousin to uh, garden hydrangeas and or mop heads or any of those old-fashioned ones or the new ever-blooming hydrangeas. All of this one is related to them, but it is – it puts it has seasonal show for er- every season. So in the spring, it pushes out these beautiful, gigantic hydrangea heads, and and they're white, and then they fade to pink, and then they fade to bronze. The color just keeps changing. I can't explain it. The leaves are gorgeous in the spring, and in the fall they turn bronze, and then the leaves drop, and it leaves this beautiful seed head, dro- kind of droops at this point, but bronzy colored, and then the bark. And it is pretty all the time. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. One of my favorites. Another one, though, Andrew, that everyone should have is is a deciduous holly. Um, they will. They're gorgeous in the summer. Uh, they look like you know a, a, a not a, a thick leaf holly. They uh, and then they um, put on beautiful red berries and then they drop all their leaves and so all you see is the the berries. Um, and still one of my very, very favorites. Um, probably one of the main things, too, is they provide all those berries for the birds. Uh, they're a major wildlife uh, feeder for the wild birds. Um, I would say in probably as far as another um, uh, shrub that is um, deciduous that would be uh, pretty in the, in the wintertime is winterberry euonymus. And this is one, too, that just sets, it's euonymus, but it sets tons of berries for wildlife. That's a really good, a good one. Um, probably my favorite of berry-setting shrubs or small trees is um, beautyberry. You know this plant? Yes, yeah, we have yeah. one right outside. Yeah, I, so those of you that are, um, I think it's all of us now, but you know, that are big on to the natives, you know, let's use native, use native. This plant is native to Oklahoma in the southeastern pl- uh, part of the state, but the ones that you will go and buy in the nursery have been selected and bred uh, up a little bit so you get a little bit more showy tho- uh, form. So I have wild beauty berries in my, on my property um, down by my pond on the path. When I first moved in there, I was like, where? I didn't even know that we had these in this county, but they're definitely on that side, on the side of county I live on because I, I found them on the side of the path. But I have the traditional um, American beauty berries that are ornamental. And you can get those in the, the traditional color that you find them in when they're wild. And also when you get the improved, bigger landscape version of a American beauty berry is um, a purple color. It's a, a pinkish purple. How would you describe it? You've seen it before. Yeah, that's funny <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. Actually, I've never had it, but I've been with someone that had it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's that color. <laughs> um, but the, the berries are all along the stems, and then again, the wildlife eats the berries. There's something about that plant, too, because when it, when it first, and we're talking about a mi- uh, if, you, if you prune it, a mid to medium-sized shrub, not small and not too big. If you don't prune it, it turns into a Volkswagen wagon. <laughs> I mean, a Volkswagen, like the size of a Volkswagen. But if you do prune it, it stays um, 
pretty, you know, print it to 12 to 14 inches. We need to print this one right here uh, this month, but you print it to 12 to 14 inches, it'll stay like a mid to large size shrub, but um, then it gets those really pretty whitish pink flowers all down the stems, and then those turn into the berries, and then the leaves drop, they turn yellow in the fall, it drops, and then you have those lovely berries, a really, really good choice. Um, so I think that's probably the mostly on the deciduous ones. I did want to mention the grasses again. Uh, I think probably it doesn't really matter which one of the grasses that you're talking about. They're all going to be gorgeous um, when you need them in the winter. That Whether it's a little tiny Indian grass or a big maidenhair grass or something. Uh, the thing I was going to mention about that is Incorporating those to where they look good when they're green and they look when they're good when they're brown because they're, you know, they've got complete different image with the two different seasons. Um, I was going to mention too that it's time to prune those right now. You don't want to wait too late. Do you guys know why? Well, what happens is um, the grass starts to grow if you prune, if you wait until too late. Uh, the grass will grow, and when you prune it, you take the tops of it off, and then it comes off looking chopped. <laughs> oh, okay. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah. The leaves end up looking chopped. So um, I want to go back to a few of the evergreen things that I feel like I didn't mention. Oh, here's another deciduous one, a good one. I'm sorry, and then we'll move on. Uh, Harry Ladder's Walking Stick. Do you know it? I don't. Okay, it's a small shrub, but the natural growth of it is all twirly and twist, uh, twisty. So when it drops its leaves, it looks all these curly Q little, um, <laughs> like uh, they call it his wa Harry Louder's walking stick. I don't really know I who was Harry Louder was. Interesting yeah. name. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, but it's because the wood is so pretty and curly and twisty. It's very popular, but you just you don't see it as often as you used to. It used to be used in like landscapes a lot, and we don't see it quite as often. So I'm going to go back to a few other things that are evergreen. One thing that I like, it's not really a shrub. It's a small plant, but it's a perennial, is that uh, corkscrew rush like we have right out here, you know, by the water feature in the back. So it's a rush. It stays evergreen all year, but it's, all, it's Harry Louder's water stick. I mean, Harry Louder's walking stick made me think of it because it grows in little curly cues. It's really kind of cool, isn't it? Are those hard to maintain? Well, what I found out about them is I tried to grow them in several different spots. They like it wet, but I should have known that because they're a rush. Mm. And I, I tried. I have, real. I have sandy soils. So I have real sharp drainage. I tried to put them in some rock gardens and stuff. And it's like, oh, then I was like, oh yeah, they're a rush. <laughs> Once you remember that they're water loving, and you get them somewhere where they stay pretty wet, mm -hmm. they'll, they'll come back. And in fact, they'll make babies. They're not invasive, but they'll make babies. Um, uh, back to some other evergreens that I should have mentioned. Let me mention the broadleaf um, evergreen um, shrubs and trees like uh, magnolias. I love a good, healthy southern magnolia. If you've got, now there's deciduous magnolias that drop their leaves, like the saucer that pushes out the blooms in the spring, and those are beautiful, but they're deciduous. Um, and then they look great in spring, but they wouldn't be a winter interest plant. But the broadleaf southern magnolia, uh, gorgeous. There is a tip that I can give you about fertilizing them, um, and it's in our fact sheet on fertilizing trees and shrubs. It's a paragraph, and you have to read the fact sheet to find it, but it's a paragraph in there that says you're supposed to use Epsom salts on it, and it gives a rate on the size of the tree. Mm -hmm. But Epsom salts is magnesium sulfate, and for whatever reason that's, 
thick leaf needs extra magnesium and it likes a little bit of a sulfur or lower pH, acid pH. So putting magnesium sulfate on it, it makes the leaves uh, get bigger and prettier on a southern magnolia. But it's in the fact sheet. Okay. You can add that fact sheet too. Um, and then I, what I, something I did forget to mention as well is um, the gr- perenni- uh, evergreen uh, ground covers. Uh, probably still my favorite, even though it's old-fashioned, is English ivy. I love it. I know that it can eat a building. Hopefully it doesn't eat your building or your home. <laughs> but when you get it in a spot and you control it, you know, you keep it mowed down and, and don't let it take over. It is so dark green and beautiful, like underneath the tree in the winter or on the side of a building in the winter. Um, it's probably one of my favorites. Uh, there's a lot of others like Finca Minor and others that were good in the in the winter as well that are ground covers. Um there's also the grassy types like monkey grass and um, mondo grass. If you like that grassy evergreen look, they just start. Sometimes they take winter damage too, and they, they have to be cleaned up. But remember, on the grasses to be pruning them pretty quickly now before they start growing. And I'm going to mention one last one that's a favorite of mine, um, and it's not that hard to find. I use it in my landscape, and it does really really well in the shade. But it's a broadleaf evergreen called. A Cuba or gold dust Cuba. Do you know this one? Yes, I have had gold dust Oh, yeah. aren't they They're pretty? Gorgeous. Yeah, so look that one up when you're doing some research for your winter interest. Uh, what did we not cover, you guys? Did we hit the, all of them? We you didn't do You mentioned any. a little bit about plants that would prefer the acidic soil. What about the other side of the spectrum? What about, is there anything that's going to want more alkaline-based soil? Well, in, our, in, Oklahoma, in central Oklahoma, our soils tend to be mostly alkaline. And almost everything that I could ever talk about um, is <laughs> almost everything I could ever talk about in a landscaping situation is going to prefer 6.5 to 7. So more, no, not really anything alkaline-loving that I can think of. Okay. Um, I think that brings us to the last thing we should talk about, though, Andrew. It's time to take a soil test. Yes, it is. It is. Um, it's right now, you guys, and we'll, we'll wrap up with this, but – you can go to our website as well to find out how to take a soil sample. Um, it's on the Oklahoma County OSU Extension website. And um, the thing is, is it, if you want to do better this year, it's smart, smart, smart to stop, start with some knowledge about what's going on in your soil so you can make everything work out better. So right now is the perfect time. If you will bring it to us, we need at least two cups. Um, and the two cups should come from... 10 or 12 different spots in your front yard or t- uh, mixed together. So dig down about six inches, get a shovel full, put that in a bucket, go over, do a, a randomized 10 or 12. Because the more spots you get, the more accurate our reading is going to be for you. Mix it up in a, in a bucket, pull out two cups of that cake mix, you mix it up, and bring it to us during business hours uh, at 2500 Northeast 63rd or go to your county office wherever you're at in the United States and they will test your soil for you. Find out, ours cost $10. Find out um, what your nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium level are, the most important. Find out your pH and whether it needs an adjustment and have a successful 2024. Have a successful gardening year, I should say. We wish that for you and we'll be back in a few weeks with another episode of the Urban Gardener podcast. Thanks for hanging out with us today. (laughs) 